0: Hi, before you watch this message, I wanted to draw your attention to something that we've been working on for quite a while now. For the past couple of years, we've been working on raising money to break ground on our first building, which we haven't had in over 10 years of operation. And we'd like to change that. So please help us raise $2 million by September 2021 so we can finally break ground and bring our ancient faith to a modern world and our own home. Our new building would allow us to do so much more with our ministry, like bring higher quality videos to all the people who watch around the world. So please visit morethanabuilding.org in order to help us and maybe add a little donation. Thank you so much and enjoy the message.
1: All right, well, good morning to everyone. Good morning and welcome to the well here at STSA where... We are in part two of a series called More Than a Building, whether you're joining us here today in Arlington, all the way across the world in Leesburg, or wherever it is that you're watching from today. We're excited that you're here because what we're talking about is what I think is one of the most important topics, which is what does it mean to be the church? Okay, you're coming here today, this morning, or you're tuning in online to see church and to be part of church. Well, what is it that means to be a church? And as you can guess by the title of this series, it is... More than a building is what it means to be part of the church. And the reason why, just to catch you up, if you're just kind of jumping in right here for the first time, is we are finally, after 10 years of being a portable church, we have finally begun uh, construction on our future home, Okay, which will be just down the street, not too far away from here. And after 10 years of being a portable church, we're finally ready to have a permanent home. And that's something that I get excited about. Yes, yeah, someone wanted to clap. You can clap for that. Go ahead. You can clap for that. It's exciting stuff. But what I discovered something recently, I just, not really recently, over the past year, two years or what it was, I discovered that a lot of people don't think of a portable church as a real church. And I've heard that expression when people say like, oh, you know, where, where, where are you located? And I say, oh, we were just renting. They say, oh, so you're not a real church. You're not a real church. And of course, I take that kind of inside, but a little piece of me is like, uh, if you only knew, is what I want to say. If you only knew, because what I'll say, my opinion is, being a portable church, you see a lot more of the true church here in a place like this than you do anywhere else. Because I would argue that if you saw the stuff that goes into what happens here on every Sunday, on a Sunday to Sunday basis, you wouldn't say there's not a real church. You'd say there are heroes in this church, because being a portable church means that we are, what I will say, we're like a traveling circus. Okay, while everyone else just comes in, opens the door, turns on the lights and starts church, we're the traveling circus where we come in on Sunday morning when everyone is asleep, we unpack all of our stuff out of the trailer and we set it all up knowing that within just a matter of hours, we're going to pack it all away and put it back in that same trailer. And that means that we're doing that when the weather is nice, when the weather is not nice. Okay, that means we're trudging all this stuff to the trailer when it's pouring rain, when it's icy snow, when it's a million degrees, okay, and humidity of a thousand percent. We're doing all that stuff. It also means that we have great people in this church who come early to church. I know a lot of people don't know this, but did you know there's some people in this who are sitting here amongst us who come to church, you sitting there and saying, how early do I have to come to church? Some people come so early to set up, go back home to pick up their family, and then come back to pray together. There's more than one person who's sitting here today who does that. Don't tell me that's not the real church. You know, the people who set up these projectors and these screens and and, uh, the, the camera equipment and the microphones and all that stuff, each week they're managing different obstacles, different challenges that come up. Even our children, our children are heroes because our children oftentimes have Sunday school not in age-appropriate rooms, okay, either A, in college classrooms with college furniture, and we got little two-year-olds in the swingy chairs, okay, which they absolutely love and the teachers absolutely hate. Sometimes they're in hallways. For our folks over there in Leesburg, okay, if you haven't been to Leesburg, we're renting in a rec center. So the kids are right down the hall from the pool, the Olympic-sized pool. And you think it's not a distraction to be in Sunday school when it's 100 degrees and smell the chlorine right down the street or right down the hallway? So what I say is the people in this church, people not named me, people are truly heroes. And that's why starting this week, starting this week, we're going to start to share some more behind the scenes on some of the stuff that I just mentioned. Because we realize a lot of people don't realize what goes into setting up church right here and making church happen. So please make sure that you follow us on, if you follow us on social media or on YouTube or any one of those channels, we're going to start to release short videos each and every week or each and uh, several times throughout this week to give you a behind the scenes look at all all that stuff. And I think you'll enjoy that. You can also go to our website. You can go to morethanabuilding.org, morethanabuilding.org, and you can see all that stuff there. That's not our topic here for today. What we're talking about as we're answering this question, like I said, is what is church? What is church? When someone says, I belong to the church, or I'm a member of the church, or I'm going to church, what does the word church mean? Is it just a building? Or as you can probably guess my answer, it is more than a building. Church is more than a place. Church is more about a who than it is about a what. And like I said, this is an especially important topic today, now, because we are now preparing to have a building And the question that needs to be answered by all of us is, having a building, does that change anything about who we are? Are we all of a sudden a different people, a different church? And my answer is, no. Having a building will change how we do what we do, but it will not change who we are or what we do. It will change the how, but it will not change the who. Because church is less about a place and it's more about a people. Church is less about a meeting and it's more about a movement. Church is less about a venue that we gather in. That's not church. Church is not the venue we gather in. Church is the purpose for our gathering. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The first time we see the word church in the New Testament is very clear. Jesus' definition seems a lot different than ours. Jesus said, And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ekklesia. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I promise you, I promise you, not one person who heard Jesus say these words thought of a building. Not one person, when Jesus said, St. Peter, or St. John, or St. James, said any of those guys, I'm going to build my church. And they started thinking, okay, great, where's the cafeteria going to be? Are we going to have a garage? Oh, what kind of fellowship hall? Not one person thought of that. Not one person thought of the materials that was going to be needed, or the supplies, or the contractor, or the mortgage. Because they weren't thinking of a place or a venue. They were thinking of a mission. A movement, a purpose, something that Jesus is saying, I've started something, you've been with me, you disciples, you've been with me for the past several years, I started something. I'm going to leave, and you guys are going to continue what I started. No buildings, no bricks, no mortar, no no, no land, but a movement, a mission, a purpose, because that's what church is. And that's what we're talking about in this series, we're talking about what makes us STSA, who we are, and we're going through our core values. We have 10 core values at this church, and last week we talked about the first of our core values of why it is that we gather, what it is our purpose, and our first core value, who remembers what it is? It is limitless acceptance. Okay, very good. Let's read this all together. Limitless acceptance says, we believe that every person, I can't hear anybody, Leesburg, I can't hear you over there as well, everyone all together. We believe that every person who enters our church is the most important person in the world. That person is sent by God and should be loved and accepted as such. Someone told me after last week's message, said that limitless acceptance, that's it. That's the only core value that's needed. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be the church. That's the whole thing. It's hard to disagree with that because the reason that you and I are sitting here today, the reason that you and I are sitting here today, the reason that we have smiles on our faces, the reason we have hope in our hearts, the only reason Is because somebody up there accepted us when we didn't deserve it. And then somebody down here accepted us as well when we didn't deserve it. That we were accepted from above. And then we showed up here at this place. And someone here accepted me when I was not worthy of it. So limitless acceptance. That's not an option. That's not, that's not like a nice to have. That's not like a, okay, one day we'll get there. That's the foundation. That's the pillar upon which everything is built. If the head of the church, which is Christ, is limitless acceptance, then the body must be aligned. And if the body, doctors help me out here, if the body is not aligned with the head, then we would say that person is sick. We would say a person is sick if their head is telling their hand to move like this and the hand can't move like this. We would say that person has a sickness. The person is sick. And I don't want anyone ever come here to STSA and look at the body of Christ here and say that body has a sickness. Because the head and the body are not in sync. The head is one way, the body is another way. The head is limitless acceptance. The body is like, okay, except if you think like me, you vote like me, you look like me. If that's the way the body is, the body has an illness. And sometimes when the illness is bad, you got to amputate. But we won't talk about that here today. Okay, let's stay on the positive side. If you missed last week's message, go to our YouTube page and get caught up because like I said, that is foundational for who we are as a church. Today we're going to our second core value and our second core value is related to the first but comes at it from a different angle. The first core value was limitless acceptance talks about how we relate and deal with those who are not amongst us right here, right now. Second core value is about what we do with those on the inside. Second core value is authentic community. Read it all together with me. We believe that God created the church to fulfill our relational needs in addition to our spiritual needs. We reject superficiality in relationships with one another just as we reject superficiality in our relationship with God. Same thing coming from a different angle. We reject superficiality here. Can't say that we are the true church and we have a superficial relationship with our Heavenly Father. Everyone agrees. But what I'm saying is authentic community means that we reject it here as well. Because we believe that the church is about prayer, and it is about Bible, and it is about spiritual, but it's about more than that. It's not just about my relationship with God, it's about my relationship with the rest of God's family here inside the church. The first core value, how do we look at people who are not here today? Second core value, how do we look at people who are here here today, and how do we relate with them? And to kick the discussion off, I would like to share with you what I was taught about community and the importance of it as I was growing up and starting my life in the church. When I was growing up and I was a young person, I started to make my way back into church. What I was taught about community, and that is very simple. I'll give you the executive summary of it. Community doesn't matter. That's what I was taught. I wasn't taught that explicitly. I was taught that by practice. Well, I was taught that community is like one of those, okay, like, you know, for the rookies. Like, yeah, for the new guy coming in who doesn't really know much, we need to befriend him. But truly, if you're truly connected to God, you don't need others. This is just, like I said, it's for the... But when you mature, what's that song? All of you is more than enough for all of me. And I'm not against the song. The song is very nice and it's a beautiful song. But you know what I'm saying? That was kind of the message, which is that as long as I have God, it's a weakness to have to need people. It's a weakness to have to rely on others. It's a weakness to feel like my life is lacking something when I'm in isolation. And as a result of that, I learned to emphasize tasks over relationships. Which is not a hard thing for me because that's kind of my nature. But when I saw it modeled for me and kind of taught to me that what we do is more important than kind of who we are. It's about the doing more than the being, the task more than the relationship. I even remember hearing one time someone said something like, um, "You know, we don't need rest. We don't need rest. We don't need breaks. The devil doesn't take breaks. Devil doesn't take vacation." To which I'm thinking to myself, like, why in the world do we want to be like him? I don't understand. That never never made any sense to me. Like, if he's why is what is he the role model? You know. But anyway, this is a different topic. So I was taught that community wasn't that important. That was just one of those things that we said we do fellowship, but truly. Truly spiritual, you didn't need any of that stuff. And this was confirmed to me explicitly when I became a priest. As I was told, Marianne was there with me, Okay, we were told by another priest, quote, never be friends with a normal person. That's what they said. And obviously when they said normal, what they meant is not a priest. Never be friends with a normal person. That's what I was taught when I was first ordained, never be friends. And some of you are mortified, okay, and I, you know, I'm just, I kind of went along with it is this idea that as a priest, you want to guard the mystique, okay? You want to guard the idea that you're a man of God. Don't get too close to people because doing so, first of all, it's a weak, it's like what the people need, but we as priests, we don't need that. And as an obedient soldier, I did that. And I had no social life and I had no friends. I worked hard, I kept people at arm's length. I was there to serve anyone who needed me at any point in time, but I never let anyone get close to me. And then I realized something. I realized that I actually like normal people. And in fact, I kind of consider myself a normal person in some ways. And then I thought to myself, okay, maybe I'm not normal now. Yes, I'm a priest. But I was normal before that. So I've actually been a normal person longer than I've been a not normal person. So therefore, something isn't right right here. And I came to the conclusion that, you know what? I love to serve. And I love to work. And I can work all day and all night. That's not a problem. I'm not complaining about that. But I also enjoy hanging out. I also enjoy playing basketball. I love playing board games. Really anything where I can declare myself a winner. Like anything competitive. Like I'm happy to do that. I enjoy that. And I realized that community isn't just something that I enjoyed but it was something that I needed. Because I started to see a lot of people who were in not, nor- not normal people like myself. People in positions of ministry. And I saw a lot of them burning out. You don't need to look very, very far to see that. You'll see the same thing. And if you see the statistics of the number of pastors in America, okay, who burn out and end up leaving the ministry, it's a shocking number. And I think this is part of the problem. Because as much as the normal people, okay, we can stop using the word normal. Obviously, I'm using it, okay. As much as normal people need fellowship, I think we all need fellowship. Okay, and I think that not being normal, I think we need to stop striving to be not normal. Okay, because God said it this way in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man, and we can imply, we can read in there and infer normal man. Okay, it is not good that man should be alone because all of us have a deep need. This verse is not just about marriage. Okay, oftentimes we look at this and say about marriage and it has a marriage meaning, but it also has a greater context. It is not good that man lives in isolation. That's not how we were were created. We were created in the image of God and being in the image of God, God is Trinity. God is relationship. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God does not exist in isolation and you and I were not created to live in isolation as well. We were created to pray together, to serve together, to laugh together, to joke together, to raise our kids together, to give each other rides to airports. We were created to help each other when we're sick. We were created to rejoice with each other when we have good things happen to us. We were created to live in community, not in isolation. And I can look back at my life and say, I experienced life in isolation. Again, never really isolated from the outside. On the outside, I was always around and around people but I never let anybody in. I can say I lived life without a sense of community and I lived life with it and the two is night and day and there's no comparison between the two and I am so thankful that now I do have people who are an intimate part of my life and I feel like I do share my life with them and they share their life with me and they see parts of me that maybe not everyone else sees and I'm thankful for it. I think it's made a difference in my ministry and the way I raise my kids and the way I relate to my wife. I hope it's made a difference and I believe it can do the same for you because. As beautiful as a personal relationship with God is, a shared relationship is even richer. As beautiful as a personal relationship with God is, a shared relationship is even richer. Go back to the very beginning. You can see clearly that God's plan with his people, with his family, with his church, with his ecclesia, with the people who gather for a purpose, was always to be communal, not individual. In the Old Testament, look at the number of times that God dealt with an individual person. Very, very rare. God dealt with the tri- the 12 tribes. The you children of Israel. This is what I want you to do. You tribes. He dealt with them at the group level. Yes, he had um, some exceptional cases where he dealt with Abraham, he dealt with Moses, but the vast, vast, vast majority, God dealt with his people as a community, not an individual. Go to the New Testament. Christ comes and he chooses 12 guys and he disciples them. He couldn't disciple them one-on-one, He's Jesus. He could have done it in a one-on-one setting. He could have pulled each one aside into his office and discipled them and then sent them out. He could have done that, but he didn't. He chose, you guys come together, and I'm going to disciple you together. But they have different needs, and they're different. They're from different walks of life, and they're different cultures, and they're different everything. Yeah, that's kind of the point. I'm trying to teach a lesson right here, that to be part of my family is not just a relationship between me and you, but it's a relationship between you and you, and brother and sister, not just father to child. Isn't that we, parents, what we want in our kids? I don't say to my kid, my son, just love me and respect me and honor me. I don't care what you do with your sister. No, I would be a very bad father if part of my agenda wasn't to establish a relationship between the brother and the sister. Right, parents? This is what we want. We want them to honor us and we want them to love each other. Isn't that what we want? Well, God is no different. God wants us to honor him and obey him and submit to him, but he also wants us to love one another and the two are not opposed to one another. The two complete each other. Fast forward to the kingdom of heaven. Look in the book of Revelation. It describes life around the throne of God. What does life look like? A bunch of people in the room doing quiet time, journaling by themselves, saying, shh, leave me alone. Is that what heaven is like? No, it says in heaven, there are thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousands, and myriads of myriads, shouting with one voice, glory and honor is due to the lamb who was slain. It's all togetherness. It's all communal. It is not individual as much as it is communal, And I'm telling you, that's what God wants for us here. And that's richer than maybe anything we've experienced. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2. And we'll read about life in the early church. And I want you to, 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 as we look at this passage, try to understand what life was like. Don't worry about the individual details. But what was life like in the book of Acts? It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Let's pause right here. So this is like the what they did. The next screen, I'm going to show you what was the result of it. So what was it that they did? Look at their life right here and see what words jump out at you. What jumps out at me is they were always together. They had all things in common. It was never mine or yours. It was ours. It was an us. It was they were praying together in the temple which was once a week on the Sabbath, but they were also meeting together on the non-Sabbath days from house to house. They shared life together. That was what they did. Now let's see the result of that and you tell me if this is what you want or not. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What does it say right there? It says that the result of what they did was gladness, simplicity of heart, Praising God, favor with all the people. And the result is people were added to the faith. Question for you. What was it that drew many people to be added to the faith? What was it that drew many people? Okay, when Luke, St. Luke is writing this, he's saying many people were added to the church. What I'm looking for there is, oh, was it because they had a fancy building that's what attracted people to the church. That's why people were added. Oh, because they had fancy lights. Or oh, because they had the best iconographer. Oh, because their AV was better than the other church's AV. Why was it that people were joining in droves? It was the love. It was the fellowship. It was the community. It was the group of people gathered together for a purpose. And I think it's going to be, be the same today. A loving church? I promise you. A loving church will always be a growing church. A loving church will always be a growing church. You know why? Because that's what people outside are looking for. That's the void. Again, it's not a marriage thing. The void in people's lives today, more than ever before, is this sense of community. That's why one of my least favorite shows of all time, okay? But I hate to admit it, it served a purpose. Remember that show Friends? Okay, I'll be there for you. You're looking at that one? Okay, remember that? Okay, everyone loved that show. This ridiculous show about who has an apartment in New York City the size of this room right here. Okay, no one, no one in the world has that. Okay, and they never go to work. They're, they're a worst show. Not realistic at all. But what it was was this sense of like, yeah, I'll be there for you. You know what I mean? Like, and they're together and community and they're fellowship and their friends and it, it fills a void. That's why people gravitate to it. I think that's how God designed us. God designed us to need one another. I don't think it's a lower or a form of weakness. I think it's exactly God's plan for us. And Like I said, I'm a witness to both. Both times, with community without community. Both times I had a relationship with God. Both times I read my Bible. Both times I was serving. But a life with God and no community versus a life with God plus community is night and day. I'll show you this nice quote from Dr. Richard Fault who says this. There are two main things that are on everyone's mind throughout life. Money and relationships. One of those will make you rich. That's a powerful quote. Money and relationships. One of those will make you rich. And if you don't know which one, let's define our terms. We're talking about authentic community, Let's define what the word community means. What I discovered is, it's one of those buzzwords that every church throws out. Community and fellowship. Community and fellowship. And it means different things to different people. So for some people, fellowship and community means like, we're going out for hot dogs after church. Come join us for fellowship. And for other people, it means that we pray together and we share our deepest, most intimate secrets. And it's kind of everything in between there. What is community? Community, I think, is one of those words that's hard to define, but you know when it's there and when it's not there. Like you can be part of something and say like, yeah, I feel it here, but I can't define it. And I hear, I, 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 I. you can feel its lack or its presence, even though you may not be able to put it into words. For our purposes, our working definition, okay, I always refer to community as sharing life. It's sharing life. But even that, what I noticed is that means different things, different people. So it's playing basketball together on Saturday mornings. Is that sharing life? is, is uh, getting together to watch movies. That sharing life. Is, 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 is going out to uh, Starbucks. Like, what does it mean to share life? So I came up with two ways to define it. I would say it comes down to these two things. A, it's investing in the lives of others. And B, it's opening up so others can invest in me. In other words, the key word there, as you see, is investment. Community is all about investment not about love. Of course, when I say that, you're like, no, it's got to be love. I'm not saying it's not love, but I don't like the word love because as I've told you before, people define love in different ways. So I love God. I love my wife. I love pizza. I love my new shoes. Like I don't like the word love because it means different things to different people. I want to talk about not loving, but investing because I can look at that and say, okay, I love God and I love basketball. But I hope I invest a little bit more in God than I do in my basketball career. I hope so. I hope when I say I love my wife and I love my new shoes, I can say for a fact I've invested more financially in my wife than I have in my shoes. Okay, that, that no doubt about that one. Okay, just the trip to Costco yesterday alone was enough. Okay, <laughs> feed a small army is what we speak right there. Community is not about love. Community is about investment. So you say, yeah, I love everyone here in the church family. Okay, that's great. Yeah, that's, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. Okay, I can I can walk into a, 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 a restaurant and say, yeah, I love everyone here, and I pray for everyone here, but that's not community. Community is about investment. How invested am I in others? And how much do I open up to allow others to invest in me? So I want to make this real practical I want to talk about three ways. Three ways that we can. Have true, authentic community in this church. Because community is good, but authentic community is really what we need. How we can invest in others and open up our lives for others to invest in us. And it's going to come down to three simple things that we're going to do. Three simple things, and I'll break them down one by one. We're going to open our doors, we're going to take off our socks, we're going to roll up our sleeves. That's simple, right? We're going to open our doors, we're going to take off our socks, we're going to roll up our sleeves. Let's go number one. One, we're going to open our doors. We'll open our doors to one another. If you, like me, grew up in the 80s, Late 80s, okay, early 90s. And you watch TV shows back then, you will notice something very strange in TV shows in the the 80s and 90s. People used to knock on each other's doors. I know, it's strange. Ask yourself when was the last time, not talking about the Amazon guy or the UPS guy, I'm not talking about that. Ask the last time somebody just knocked at your door without texting you in advance. The last time somebody, or you did it to someone else, that you knocked on someone's door. Back in the day, we used to do this thing. And if you remember, let's go a little TV trivia right here. I will name the, I will name the neighbor, you name the show. Okay, make it easier for you. I will name the famous neighbor, you tell me what show this person is from. You have this game, okay, you understand the game? And we're going to go 80s, we're going to go 90s, back into the 80s, see how far back we can go. Ready? Start you off with a with a, with a a softball pitch right here, Okay. Kramer, Seinfeld, that's easy, okay? Larry, Three's Company, very good, okay, Larry. Cockroach, Cosby Show, very good, we're on the same page right get rid of all these other people, me and you can play this game, okay? (laughs) Let's go back even further, Lenny and Squiggy, Laverne and Shirley, okay, very good, and this one's easy, I want everyone to shout this one, Okay. Erkel, Family, Family Matters. Come on, that's the most famous neighbor of all time. Family Matters, Steve Urkel guy. Okay, yeah. Anyone else want to throw a neighbor into the into the ring right here? Okay. Today, compare life that we used to solve when people just knock on the door. What compare that to today? Today, the only time we knock on our neighbor's door is when the ball that the kids get goes over the fence. That's the only time, and that's after trying to get the, the shovel to scoop it over, and if we could text them, we would. Okay, the only time is when we absolutely have to, and I know some people would say, leave the ball, it's not worth the inconvenience of knocking. Order another one. But did you know back in the day, we used to not only knock on each other's doors, did you know back in the day, Okay, remember, who remembers this? We used to get each other's mail on vacation. You guys remember this? Anyone that this? I'm going on vacation, get the mail while I'm gone. And then we would stop by. Okay, or we used to when we were younger, we used to have a spare key to our house. Who would have it? Our neighbor would have the spare key to our house because their house was our house and we didn't see anything wrong with it. We used to knock on each other's doors. I never did this, but in TV shows, they did to borrow sugar. Okay, I don't know if people actually did that or not, but in theory, people would do that. And you just look at it and say, the world is very different than it was back then. I don't think it's better in that regard. Like, I'm not anti-technology. Technology is great. I love technology. It has made the world better in so many ways. But now when it comes to community, I actually read an article one time. This subject fascinates me. I read an article one time about the invention of the garage. And how the garage decreased the sense of community and increased the isolation and loneliness for so many people across America. And I thought about it. When I was growing up, okay, Dad will remember, we had a carport. Okay, we didn't have a garage, okay, in that first house that we had in Vienna. We had a carport. A carport, you know what a carport is? It's just a covered, like, like an like a umbrella for your car. Okay, so there's no garage door, so you just rolled in. So what happened is when you parked in a carport, you got out of the car, it wasn't connected to the house, so you got out and you had to walk around the front to get in your house. And as you're walking around to the front, you might see the neighbor. Okay, and what would you do when you see the neighbor? You know, hey Fred, you know, how's the wife, how's the kids? You know, hey Jenny, you know, like uh, how'd that thing on your elbow go? Okay, looks good. You know, hey Jim, you know, how's that prostate doing? You still, oh, that's great, fantastic, still hanging in there, good. Like we used to have conversations with one another out in the street. Compare that to today. Today, we roll in with our windows up, okay, we're probably on our phone. And we roll into the garage, okay, we open the garage, we see other neighbors, and we think they're probably suspicious, okay, they're probably, you know, stranger danger, okay, so what we do is we open the garage, we pull into the garage, we close the garage, and then we get out of the car. We make sure we don't get out until the garage is completely closed, so that way we do not have to deal with anyone on the outside. So what we're living is, my life, leave me alone, just me, you're outside, I'm inside. I actually saw, again, again, I like this topic. So anyone who lives in Montgomery County, anyone here who lives in Montgomery County, they put out a thing. The government in Montgomery County is encouraging homes and home builders to put the garage for townhomes in the back, not in the front. Okay, maybe you've seen this. A lot of homes, okay, where it's like townhouse in the front and it's landscape and the garage is in the back. And it's specifically for this sense of community so that people on the front would see nice landscape and people would hang out on the front versus just and the front just be cars and, and cement. Another thing they talked about is porches versus decks. When we were kids, someone said yes. Okay, when we were kids, we'd hang out on the porch. We didn't, have, we didn't have a deck in that person. We hung out on the porch, and we would just be outside. Now, we have the covered po- deck on the back, okay, and it's screened in, and it's locked, and we even got a TV out there, and everything like that. So it basically says, this is my life. You're outside. I'm inside. You're bad. I'm good. And I think that's a far cry from Acts chapter 2, verse 46, which says, Continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. The key there is that house to house. Believe me, not only, this is not just something that the Bible talks about as like a night, this is something that we need. Okay, i can going to tell you another story. When we, me and my wife, when we first got married, we lived in this townhouse over in Fairfax. And it was just the two of us, and eventually we had some kids. But I remember when it was just the two of us, again, we had this no community. We weren't in anything like that. And I was kind of the weirdo on the block because I'm like the priest guy. And I remember I remember very clearly doing my best to avoid interacting with anyone. I used to schedule my trips to the mailbox. It was like on the corner. Like there were certain neighbors. When I see them go out to get the mail, okay, I wait for them to finish. As soon as they got back in, I would go out there to get it before because I didn't want to have to talk or interact with anyone. Then I remember one time I heard a sermon in church about loving your neighbor. Okay, the sermon was not talking about your physical neighbors, just loving your neighbor. And I remember thinking to myself during that sermon, oh my goodness, I don't like my neighbors. I avoid them like the plague. Like I do everything in my power to avoid them. And I'm like, they're my neighbor. And usually you think of like my neighbor in a general sense. I'm like, no, but my physical neighbors, like God's going to ask me and say, I gave you a neighbor on your right and a neighbor on your left. And did you love them? And my answer at that time would have been no. So me and my wife decided to do something crazy. We decided to throw a block party. That's right, Of the priest in the neighborhood, and in the in the neighborhood, by the way, we live by over by George Mason, not too far from there. So there was college kids. Okay, there was one house of like four college guys and some college girls. I don't ask me how it was working. Okay, there's cars going in and out, but there was definitely boys and girls. Okay, and I'm talking about like we just said, you know, we're gonna throw a party, and on one Sunday afternoon. Okay, and we created little flyers, okay, and we're going to serve hot cocoa, and we're going to have the little, 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 little hot dog, with the, the, the pigs in a blanket thing, okay, and we put that picture on there because we figured that would attract people. We had all kinds of food, and we just put out flyers, okay, put them on everyone's door. We didn't know if anyone was going to show up, but we knew we were going to have a lot of food to eat. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, people wouldn't leave. People wouldn't leave. So many people came, including those college kids. Marianne remembers it. We had to take away the food to get them to go. Like, they were going to stay as long as there was food there. And finally, like, I turned up the AC to get people cold. That didn't work, okay? I did the, but that didn't work either. So finally, we just had to take away the food. Stop bringing out the food. You know why? Because people long to be in community. And people long to be loved. And people long to be accepted. Because it is not good to be alone. So here's what I want you to ask yourself with this one. Open your doors. Is there anyone? Is there anyone in your life that you can just stop by their house anytime you want No invitation needed. Is there anyone who can do that to you? Can come to your house anytime? Let's go even a step further. Not anyone whose house you can go to or might stop by your house. Anyone whose fridge you can go into anytime you want. Like you can just walk in, knock on the door, open the fridge. Anyone like that? I would say if not, now you have a goal. That someone whose house is your house and your house is their house. That's why we're talking about this idea of more than a building. Someone told me it's going to be great when we have a building so we can start to do all of our groups. Like we do life groups, we do leisure groups, we can do all those learning groups, do them all in the church. And I said, heck no. No way. Just because we have a church doesn't mean we're not going to stop doing the home thing. Like, yeah, the home thing is sometimes out of out of necessity, but I also think there's a great value. to so you coming to my house and me coming to your house, and just because we have it, like there's much greater intimacy between all of us, like, it says that they broke. They were in one accord in the temple and broke bread house to house. This is like the temple. We need to gather in the church all together, big family. But that doesn't negate the need that in smaller circles that we meet in each other's homes. I think there's value to it. So the first step, okay? The first step is opening my home and being willing to invest in someone else's home as well as mine. Now the second step is related to it. Okay, because opening the doors is good but once you open those doors, you need to take off your socks. You need to take off your socks. What do I mean by take off your socks? Anyone who knows me knows I hate feet. Not a feet guy. Always been grossed out by feet. Someone the other day, there was something they were eating. It fell. And they're like, it didn't hit the floor. It hit my feet. I'm like, that's worse than the floor. <laughs> You're never going to see me with like, you know, the flip-flops or the toes or like the whatever. At most, you'll get me and a pair of Crocs and to be honest, I know this makes me the old guy in the room, I oftentimes wear them with socks. Yes, I know, okay, but I'm that guy with the socks pulled up, knee high, and then the Crocs, because I hate feet. I don't like feet. I don't like feet. When I'm with my family, I walk around the house barefoot, because they're my family. But then, when you come over, or anyone comes over, I will put on socks. But if you're a part of my family, You're part of my family. And I'm part of your family. Then it's okay to show you my bare feet. I don't need to hide. I can let loose. And that means, the challenge for us, if we're truly community, then we don't need to hide the things that we don't like about ourselves. We can, you can come over to my house, you can see my bare feet. See me in my PJs. Marianne with her mud mask and curdles. Like, I've got to let you see the whole thing. Kit kaboodle caboodle if you want to come over sometime. Okay, and you can see how all the magic happens. The point is, I'm not embarrassed to show you my weak parts. I'm not hiding them. There's a myth that some people are believing. And if we're honest, this is all of us at some point in time, and I've been there. That if people knew the true me, they wouldn't like me. If people saw me as I really am if I truly revealed everything about myself, my imperfections, my weaknesses, my fears, my anxieties, if they knew, if you knew about me, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't want to be around me. You'd think less of me. And I see this so often in confession. I see it sometimes, people are just like, I want to say it, I want to get it off my chest, but I don't want you to look bad, like look down at me. You know what I'm thinking to myself? Nothing could be further from the truth. You realize it is the exact opposite? And I'll prove it to you what is more attractive to you someone forget about someone me what is more attractive to you me stand up here and tell you how I got my whole life together and ha 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 my life is better than yours and I'm perfect and everything about me is perfect is that attractive but when I come to you and I'm real I'm like yeah I got weaknesses and I'm working on it the best I can like which do you prefer to hang out with someone who's got their whole life together and perfect even though you know it's not, so you know it's an act. Or someone who's real. Like what you want from others. What I'm saying is, give it to others. You owe it to them. To be honest, you owe it to yourself. I read a nice quote one time, it says, we impress others, I'm sorry, we impress with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. We impress through our strengths, social media but we connect through our weaknesses, taking off our socks. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, too many of us, too many of us are not finding community because we are always hiding behind our socks. We're not willing to walk in the light. We're not willing to show the true, who we are truly on the inside. And I realize that as soon as I say that, that's, not an, that's a scary thought for some people. To take off the socks, let them see the real me, not hide, not put up the front. It takes a secure person to be authentic. It takes a secure person to be vulnerable. I read a quote, again, from someone named Simon Sinek. Okay, And he said, to be authentic is to be at peace with our imperfections. I like that. To be authentic is to be at peace with our imperfections. Not to, not to have no imperfections. And I would say it actually means, it applies the same to others. To be at peace with others' imperfections. Let me take it from the negative side. You know you're insecure. Or, you know you're with an insecure person. You know you're insecure or you're with an insecure person. If it's always criticizing. Always see the negative. That's what an insecure person does. They always like to find fault. They always find the bad versus extend grace because an insecure person who doesn't feel good about themselves wants to point out the bad in others and criticize the bad in others to make themselves feel like it's not just them. Well, here's the thing. If that's you or if that's someone that you are with, criticizing and finding fault, you will never have true community in life. You know why? Because as I'm sitting there listening to you criticize that person behind their back, any chance I'm going to open myself up to you as you sitting there tearing this person down for this kind of fault, I know my own fault is like this, you have basically told me, I'm not a safe person. Do not open yourself up to me. Do not consider me a true friend because I'm going to rip you apart behind your back as well. And I feel bad for these people. There's certain people, I want to shake them. I want to say the more you are insecure, the more you are perpetuating your own insecurity, and the truth is, we need to do the exact opposite. St. Paul says it this way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1-3, through 3, he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I was with you, this is St. Paul, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. In other words, I was willing to take off my socks. And that's why we say to you, St. Paul, that's why we love you. That's why we love you. Because you came to us and you were real. And you told us, I got struggles and I got weakness and I got fear, but this is how we're working on it together. And that's why people gravitated to St. Paul. And that's what's going to happen with us as well when we learn to take off our socks. That's why what I want to say when it comes to church and community, realize this, that church is not community. Church provides an opportunity for it, but it doesn't answer. Church is not the answer. Church provides opportunities for the answer. Meaning you could attend church, every single week for the rest of your life and never find true, authentic community. If you just sit there in the pew and you never invest in others, you never let others invest in you. If you're never willing to take a risk, if you're never willing to be open, if you're never willing to do anything beyond just, like I said, stay here, I say the right words, how are you, what do you do for a living, this is what I do, glory be to God. If that's all you do, then yes, you attend church, church will never be community for you. It takes you willing to take a risk. And that's why the most secure people are the ones are willing to you know what pick up the phone yeah pick up the phone not this okay pick it up and call someone and say hey can we talk that's a scary thought for some of us but those are the ones we're going to find community willing to invest willing to open up their lives to others you know what? we're sometimes in a life group okay and we're going through the questions and we're just answering the questions and then some person some brave soul says hey guys can I be honest here can I be real? And then the floodgates open up. That's what I discovered is. Once the per- first person opens up and makes himself vulnerable, and everyone's like, yes, that's what I want to say. But I was just waiting for someone to do it first. The other day, we were the group of people and together. And we've been together for a long time. And we're laughing and we're joking and we're going out here and we're doing these activities. And then finally, someone said, hey, guys, can we just like, tell the kids to just watch TV? Like, who cares about the kids right now? Can we just hang out with the adults? Can we just say this? How's everyone doing? That's what we did. We said, how's everyone doing? And the rule is when you say how's everyone doing no one's allowed to say fine. No one's allowed to say fine. Let's get the let the, let the kids watch whatever Look, like, who cares they're already addicted to anyone. like another half hour and I'm going to kill them. Okay. They're already messed up we already it's too late for them. How's everyone doing here? And that opened up a real good conversation that I promise you everyone in the room wanted to have but who was the brave soul who would take this step? So number one we open up our doors. Number two we take off our socks number three and I'll go through this quick as we roll up our sleeves. We roll up our sleeves. Back to what I said in the beginning, that church is about a mission. Church is about not a venue to gather in, but a purpose for a gathering. We roll up our sleeves, back to the mission. If all that unites us together, if the reason we're here is because we have common interests, then we're a country club. If what unites us together is we have the same political views, then we're a political party or whatever group. And that ain't us. What unites us is not what we have in common when it comes to our interests and our hobbies and our and our voting and all that nonsense. What unites us is our mission. We're bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. We're here not just for ourselves. Like, we're not just here at STSA because it's close to my home. Why are you a member of STSA? Because it's close and the commute is short and you know... No, no, no! We're here because we believe in the mission. Because Jesus started something He gave the baton to his disciples, they gave it to their disciples and now someone's handed it to us. And we're here in Arlington. Jesus never came to Arlington. Neither did St. Peter, neither did St. Paul. But he sent us. We are here on a mission. And what allows us to overcome that, you know what, you and I, we grew up differently. You and I think politically differently. You and I, we we don't speak the same way. You rub me wrong and I rub you wrong. But you know what unites us together? You know the reason why we get past all that? Because of our mission. So you know what? Our mission is so important, I'm willing to reconcile here. I'm willing to overlook here. I'm willing to change here. I'm willing to agree to disagree with here. Because why? Because what unites us is so important that it requires us to be on the same page. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and 33 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now watch the result of one heart and one soul, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Let me ask you a question. If they were not one heart, one soul, you think they would have had as much grace and power upon them? Do you think there might be a connection between the oneness of heart and the oneness of soul and the great grace and the great power? That's what I want for our church. And that's why you're here in this church because you want God to work mightily in this church. And I'm telling you that the reason that God works mightily In the church is when the church is united together in one heart and one soul. We as members of the church, individually, nothing. But together, powerful. And I heard a great analogy one time. Is we as members of the church, we're like snowflakes. You know snowflakes? They say that every snowflake is unique. I don't know how they discovered this, but somebody put them under a microscope. So every snowflake is different than the next one. No two snowflakes are the same one snowflake by itself, can't do much. Take a snowflake, throw it over it, nothing's going to happen. But if I put a bunch of snowflakes together and unite them together, you know what I can do? I can stop traffic. I can mess things up. I can shut cities down. And that's us in the church. By ourselves, you, me, none of us can do much. By ourselves. By ourselves, you're good. I'm not saying you're bad. You're good. But together man, we are united together and we go out those doors and we are one soul, and we are one heart, we have one mission and we are under the authority of one head who is the king up in heaven and we are together, united in that. Woof! Arlington won't know what hit it. Leesburg won't know what hit it. The world won't know what hit it when the church is truly united together. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst of them. My prayer for today is that we shift our mentality. Our mentality when it comes to church and our relationship, our Christianity goes from an individual to a community, from a me to a we. I always say this about this church here at STSA. People say, Father Anthony, you're the best and God bless you and people love you in the church. That's great, I am the best, I fully agree. But I'll tell you this, I always believe and I believe with all my heart, people may come here because of me, but people stay here because of us. I believe that. People may come because of me, but people stay because of us. People may come because of one person, but they don't stay because of one person. They stay because of us and the community that we have here together, and every one of us has a role in that. God created us for relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. And we talk about relationship, we want authentic, we want quality, not quantity. Quantity of relationship, that's easy, that's social media, post some pictures of your cat, videos, you'll be great, you'll have tons of friends, okay? If you want volume of friends, cat pictures, that's the way to go. But if you want authentic community, you want quality. It requires investment. We're going to invest by opening our doors. We're going to invest by taking off our socks. And thirdly, by rolling up our sleeves. And the result of that, the world won't know what hit it. Can we read our core value together one last time? Authentic community all together. I want to hear you say it with me. We believe God created the church to fulfill our relational needs in addition to our spiritual needs. We reject superficiality and relationships with one another just as we reject superficiality in our relationship with God. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, not just that you have accepted us unto yourself, but you've made us part of your eternal family, brothers and sisters together with one another. I pray that you would help us to truly invest in community, in, in opening ourselves up to others and investing for those who are opening themselves up to us. And I know that through that, Lord, you will do a mighty, mighty work through this church. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Here us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for watching the message. We want to invite you one more time to partner with us in bringing our ancient faith to a modern world and donate any amount to morethanabuilding.org. Make sure to follow us on social media for real-time updates and even more inspiration during the rest of your week. I hope you have a wonderful week and enjoy the rest of your day.